That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Broadcasting from the west coast of the Golden State, the nation's most straightforward recovery talk show, That Sober Guy podcast, helping to keep your brain sharp and your blood clean. And now, Shane Raymer. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in today to That Sober Guy podcast. We got a great episode today. We have Kalina Orbio joining the show, and Kalina's 19. She's early in her recovery. It's great to get an opinion and some insight and some thoughts from someone going through early recovery uh, that's only 19. So she's going to share with us here shortly. We're not doing the 14 days to building self-esteem today, and it's my fault because I'm recording at a different location today, and I left the fucking paper at the house. So my apologies for that. We will jump into that in episode 65, so I wanted to be upfront with that if maybe someone was listening that was only looking for that on this episode. So no 14 days to building self-esteem today, but I can give you a little quick one. Look yourself in the mirror, tell yourself, I love you, because you're a damn good person and you're fighting this shit to become the person that you want to be. A word from our sponsor, Sober Nation. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction as well as to family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can be found at www.sobernation.com. Once again, that's sobernation.com. Also, Check out That Sober Guy meetings. Go to ThatSoberGuy.com, click on the Live Meetings tab, and register for free the next Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, live online meeting. Kind of a bridge between the top support groups out there. There's no format, really, I just realized. It's just some folks that want to join in and learn how to communicate. Where if you're already learning how to communicate, we communicate. We talk about shit. That's on our minds, things that are bugging us, things that are positive in our lives as well. So check one of those meetings out. You can register on there for free. It's really easy to do, and it's a good time. Make you feel good and a great way to start your Sunday. Also, check out the Share Podcast and the Recovery Elevator. All of us are part of the Sober Nation family, and you can line yourself up for new podcast episodes Mondays, Tuesdays, and Fridays. If you go to iTunes and leave us a rating on there, that's the best way you can support the show. You can also donate to the show. If you feel like you want to drop a few bucks, go to the donate tab at thatsoberguy.com and you can do that through PayPal. Let's get to the interview. Here's Kalina Orbio. Today we're talking with Kalina Orbio. Kalina's 19 years old. She's been clean and sober for just over four months. And um, I think it's important for the next generation of young people to get their message out, especially those who are new to recovery which is why I'm having Kalina on the show today. And um, we're helping to break the stigma of alcoholism and addiction by speaking out. And uh, we're, also, um, we're also reminders to others who are caught in the struggle that they're not alone and that there is help out there if they want it. Uh, so Kalina, welcome to the show. Hello. It's good to have you on today. Uh, how are you feeling right now? Um... I'm nervous, but I feel really good because actually this is the first time I'm sharing my story with anyone. So really? It's good. Yes. 
Dude, I'm so glad that it's on That Sober Guy podcast. So thank you for taking the time and um, and coming on today to talk about it. Thank you very much. So you you emailed me, and this is kind of how, how we got in touch. And um, you had a couple interesting things to say in that email, and we'll get to those. Um, mm-hmm. We'll get to those later on. Uh, one of them being, which I actually talked a little bit about today on, on today's podcast that went out, is that you started using drugs mm-hmm. at the age of 11. Which which was crazy yeah. to me, crazy crazy to me. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll get to that we'll get to that here shortly. But um, what is life like four months into being clean and sober? Um, on one side of it, it's really really scary and it's like frustrating. Like I don't want to do it, but then the other part of it is like exciting and it's spring and I get to actually live. Like I have a life now and it. It's it's weird, but it feels really good. It's like a lot of people I talk, they don't understand it. They're like, you're 19 years old. You haven't even lived yet. So how do you know you haven't lived before? I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. But it's people like they say because I'm so young. It's like I don't know anything. And like I, when I was in rehab before, it's like I wasn't really taken serious because at the time I was only 18. And I'm like, well, you're not really giving me credit for a lot of the things I've been through. And it just made me feel worse. So when I tell them I'm sober now, they're like, well, you're only 19. How are you saying you're sober? Like, you have no problems. And that's the frustrating part of it. Because it's like, well, they're saying I don't have a problem, so I must not have a problem. Totally. I can do whatever I want to yeah, I no, I definitely I don't think how I don't think age matters on that on that point at all because I still even mm-hmm. do that till today. Like I know that there's there's probably, you know, people out there that that may think that well I know I know Shane and I know who he was before and he didn't have a problem. I mean, maybe it's cuz they're comparing it to somebody else, maybe it's cuz I never ended up in prison, I don't know. But I know that that battle, mm-hmm. you know, that battle, that's probably what you're talking about. It goes back and forth like, yeah. do I have a problem? Well, you know, they say I don't, so maybe I don't. But wait a minute, I feel like I have one. Uh so it can be very confusing. Mm-hmm. I think that's like the biggest part of being in recovery is you have to know it for yourself. You can't have a bunch of people around you saying, oh, you have a problem or you don't. It's like you have to realize it yourself or nothing's going to change. Yeah, totally. And th- and we can't tell other people, you know, what to do. We can't just like I can't tell somebody that mm-hmm. they have a they have a problem with drugs or alcohol or mm-hmm. whatever because they're going to tell me to fuck off. They're going to say, you know what? I And most of the time, most of the time in my experience, too, when when you tell somebody what to do. They're just going to absolutely do the opposite, especially if it involves, you know, alcohol or, or drugs or yeah. something like that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So you, you had said that, that it's a bit scary. Um, can you kind of explain, explain why it's a bit scary to you? Because I've been using since I was really little, I've never dealt with anything on my own and like in the right mind. So now I'm having, everything come at me at once and I'm just like I don't want to deal with this right now what do I do and the only option I have is yeah you have to deal with it you can't go to a bottle and swallow a couple pills or go get high or something you have to go head on and like take it and it's really hard for me because I'm like I don't know what to do and I'm afraid to ask people for advice because I'm like scared like that's the big 
that's part of my anxiety. Like, I don't like asking people for help. So everything is like, I don't even have a word for it. It's just like, ah, like that's scary. Yeah, well, it's that. So, I mean, you, you've had to get rid of that crutch, right? You've had to get rid of that. Yeah. That tool that mm-hmm. all of us have used um, to mm-hmm. deal with life. And that, that's one of the things that I, you know, when I came to realize this, like alcohol and, and drugs and that, you know, that, that bad attitude that I used to carry, that was, um, that wasn't Im- the, the immediate issue. For me, once I started learning about myself, it was really the fact of, and this ties into just what you're talking about, is the fact that, you know, I don't know how to deal with life. I don't know how to deal with things mm-hmm. in my life. I don't know how to deal with my past, with things that are going on in the present moment, you know. And so what I do mm-hmm. is I hide that behind that bottle, behind um, behind my addictions, you know. And um, mm-hmm. it is. It's a, it's a scary thing. But the good news is, Kalina, you're 19. It's so so fucking dope that I probably shouldn't use the word dope, huh? It's probably not a, a great word to use, but um, you're 19 <laughs> and you're, you're starting to figure this, this shit out like now. And some people, number one, um, I don't know if you're like me, but I've lost, you know, a few friends to alcoholism, to addiction, whether it's um, mm-hmm. dead, whether it's dead or, you know, in jail or just mentally gone, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and that's hard. So the good news for, for both of us actually but you, especially being 19, you're getting the opportunity to get a second chance and uh, and and to really move forward and figure out who you are. So I just want to like mad props to you for that, because that is that is so awesome. And I'm glad that you're on here spreading that word, letting other young people in recovery know that there's hope out there. Yeah, thank you, because like I can actually relate to that because like I can see Well, I've moved away from my hometown, but seeing through social media and all that stuff, I see where the people I've hang, hung out with um, are going, and it makes me sad. And, like, I want to tell them, like, hey, get help, but I know they're at the same point I was at some time ago, so I can't really do that. But And I actually have lost a couple of friends um, due to overdose and stuff like that, so I kind of use that as a motivation. Like, I don't want to end up dead like them, so... Yeah, totally. It happens when you're in this. And just just like you said, you know, you can't tell somebody else because we're all kind of in our own place and nobody's, you know, no nobody nobody really can change until they want to, you know. Mm-hmm. So um okay, so Kalina, you said you started using you started using prescription drugs and smoking weed at 11 years old and um I mean you were just mm-hmm. a, you were just a kid. So take us back to how that started and um and then kind of roll from there. Well, let's like, from when I was really little, like, I can remember being, like, four, and, like, I was really angry. I was sad. I didn't know, like, who to trust or anything. Like, I remember from a really young age, I didn't want to be alive. And, like, when I think back at that, it's, like, that's scary. Like, a little child, like, you said your daughter's five, so, like, imagine your daughter feeling, like, so angry and helpless and feeling like she just didn't want to be here anymore. And I can't imagine why my family didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like, it just kept going on until then. And then um, I moved with my mom around the age of 11 and she's an addict herself. So it was pretty easy to find stuff around the house at that time. 
so um, I just remember one time I had a cold and she was like, well, here, take this cough medicine. And it was, I don't remember what kind it was, but I know it was the kind that made you sleep like 20 minutes after you took it. And then I got better. And then she was like, well, I know you're better, but just take it one more time. So I know you're better for sure. And I did. And then I just felt like I got the feeling I wanted for so long at that point. Like I got the feeling of not being there. I wasn't, I didn't have enough energy to be sad or angry or anything like that. So it was, it was just that, I don't even know how to describe the feeling, but it was just so freeing at that moment to not feel like I wanted to be dead. And then it just kept going from there. Like there was always that medicine around, like we got sick all the time. So I could always find cough medicine, whether it's at my mom's house, my aunt's house, my grandma's house. And whenever I could, I would just take as big of a drink of it as I could and hope that no one noticed, which usually they didn't because I didn't really pay attention. And then I had cousins that smoked weed, and so they left it around sometimes. And I think I was about 12 the first time I took them from them and did what I saw them doing, which was smoking it out of a, a piece, well, a bowl, whatever. I know my generation, we just call it a piece. We don't call it anything else. I don't know what old people like you call it. So, Are you, are you kidding me right now? Did you just call me old? <laughs> oh, my you God. Kalina, <laughs> Kalina, you're killing me right now, okay? <laughs> Thank you. We do call it. We do call it a piece as well. All right. It is re- referred okay. to as a piece. I don't know. It's also okay. referred to as a bowl. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. I don't talk to many people of your age about this stuff. So I just know we call it a piece. We don't really call it anything else. Got it. Got it. But that's what I stole from my older cousin, and I took his stuff, and I just went on from there, and then. I was about 14, and um, I was born with um, fusions in my spine, which makes my back block up a lot, and it's really, really painful. Like, I can't move, and I'm crying, and I'm just like, (laughs) and then I went to the hospital, and they were like, they didn't know, like, my family didn't know, and I didn't tell any of the doctors, like, hey, I take stuff that makes me drowsy all the time because at 14, you don't even think about saying that. Yeah. And they were like, well, we're going to give you morphine. And they gave me morphine for a couple of days. And I was like, this shit is awesome. I want it all the time. And then when I went home, they gave me Vicodin and Soma, which started. It made everything worse at that point because then I could not live without painkillers. Like I wanted them all the time. And also at that point, my mom, um, she got in an accident at work. Her back was messed up. Um, but she works on the docks. So there, anytime you get hurt, their immediate reaction is, oh, we're just going to give you pain medication so that you can keep coming to work. And so uh, she always had it. And so I could always take some. Like, she didn't want me to, but I would always take some. And then she would be like, where did all my medicine go? I was like, I'm normal. You took it all yourself. 
Maybe your friends took it. Like, those are just lies on top of lies just to keep using the way I wanted to. And the sixth part of it was, like, I was telling myself, I don't have a problem because it's not like I'm, like, stealing them from her and taking them right away. I'm saving them for later. So it's not like I have a problem. Like, I need them every day. But it's like, it's kind of sick when you think, like, a teenager is saving that stuff just to get that really, really ultimate feeling of not being there at all. Yeah, and then the fact that you justify it by, you know, saying, well, I'm not taking them all at once, so um, I don't have a problem. And it's easy to kind of fall mm-hmm. into that, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And the problem was, I most of the time, whatever I had, I was saving to take all at once. So when I was using, I was taking like 10 to 15 at a time. So I was not going anywhere. And when I tell people, when I had told people that so many I was taking, they were like, how are you alive? And I'm like, Wait, so you, I have no fucking idea. You were taking 10 to 15, what, Somas, Vicodins, Percocet, like whatever basically you could get your hands on? Yeah. At a time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that you're, you're definitely lucky to be alive because, I mean, you hear of people who just pop a couple of those things mixed with a little, little alcohol or a little cocaine or something <laughs> like that, and boom, their heart stops. You know, and Mm -hmm. that's what I was kind of alluding to earlier at the beginning of our conversation is that um, I look at this as such a gift that God allowed me to have a second chance, you know, and so like Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of what helps. And maybe this will help you, too, is that that's what helps to keep me, you know, driving and keep going and keep pushing through those hard times, because I think of homies like um, one of my good friends, Ryan Rogers, who. Um, you know, was trying to get clean, trying to get clean. And he was kind of going back and forth and he was struggling with some stuff. And, you know, one night he just, he lost it and he, um, you know, he, he did, did some shit and he had a heart attack and he didn't get that Mm -hmm. second chance, you know? And, and you said too, you have some, some friends or family uh, that you've experienced that with. So I guess my Mm -hmm. point is, it's just so, I'm so grateful every day to, to wake up and, um, Mm -hmm. and to be able to, to do what I do and, and sit and, and talk about this shit. Mm-hmm. It's what, I'm on like my fifth second chance right now. Really? So, so you've had five, five yeah. relapses? No, I've had a lot of times where I should have definitely overdosed. Oh, got it. Um, cause I've tried to, um, four times actually. Like I remember when and how and, what it felt like when I woke up like all those four times and I'm like, why am I still here? Like there must be a really good reason why I haven't just kicked the bucket at this point. Like just by, I don't know if it's by luck or if there's an actual reason why I should be here, but it, I think about that and it is so scary. Well, I can and think. I can this, think of one reason right now, and it's to spread the word of recovery, just like you're doing, just like where you're sitting right yeah. now in this moment. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and I I kind of realized that same thing in in early on in my recovery. Like, why the why the hell am I going through this? Like, why did I do this? Why am I here? Mm-hmm. You know that purpose, and and then finally just something just like 
just hit me. It like basically punched me in the gut. And it was like, you're here to take this message and help other motherfuckers out there who are struggling with this, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a pretty valid reason. The same for you, you know? Yeah. Like I can, um, thinking about it now, like for, I've still had those thoughts of like not wanting to be alive. Um, especially since I started, like since I've been sober now. And I think around the time where I stopped having those thoughts where it's like, well, I can just end my life and nothing will happen. Um, when those thoughts stopped was when I started listening to Omar's show. And I started especially listening to the females. I was like, wow, like there's, there's a reason I'm still here. There's a reason like everyone is still here. Like, and if it, I feel that a bad saying that because like a lot of people have died from this disease, but I'm like, well, I mean, like, but like sometimes there's guilt, but then there's also that um, proud feeling like, I'm still here. I'm going to make sure what happened to them doesn't happen to me or anyone else. Yeah, it sound, I think with a lot of us too, and it sounds like maybe this may, may be the case with you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of us, one thing I'm still learning about myself is that, <clears throat> excuse me, I could take, um, I could have, you know, five or 10 good positive points about myself, right? And then there could be mm-hmm. one, there could be one negative point, and I will throw all of the positive shit out the window, and I will only dwell on the negative one. And so what I'm getting at is we don't give ourselves, let let me speak for myself. I don't give myself the credit that I truly deserve because I just, that's just how my brain is wired. And so having to go back and unwire that part of it and kind of reteach it and rethink it, um, it's really, it can be a struggle sometimes, you know, and I feel like today I'm on a pretty good path of it, but it sounds like maybe that you, that you maybe are going through something or that you, that you've been through something similar to that. Yeah, that's. Exactly how I feel a lot of the time. Like, my boyfriend has pointed that out to me a lot. Because I get sad all the time because I feel like at any moment I'm going to do something wrong and I'm going to lose everything. Or that I'm not doing enough or I'm not good enough or not pretty enough or just any little thing. And I could be doing great in my life, but just that one second will put me off for the whole day. and he's noticed that, so I'm like, okay, maybe that's true. Like, because he's not going to bullshit me. Like, I remember one time he told me, he was like, we were fighting because I was upset about some little shit, and he was, and I was like, I want to leave. I want to go back home to where I'm from, and I want to use. That's all I want to do. I don't want to deal with this shit anymore. And he just looked at me, and he's like, why the fuck do you run away from everything? And I was like, well, fuck you. <laughs> then for a minute, I was like, oh, shit, I do do that. Yeah. I just focus on that one little negative thing, and I don't even care about the good thing I have right in front of me. So at that moment, so you, were, you were able to take a little bit of responsibility, though, and see that. And, and that's that's huge. Yeah. You know, that's really that's yeah. really big. Yeah. And, I, and it was amazing because I still got angry. And usually when I get angry, like I'm gone like there's no getting through me at all and usually because the other person next like talking to you is angry as well like they're frustrated and they they don't know how to handle it but he just sat there and he just stayed calm after telling me that that shit and I was like 
oh, you're serious. Like, you're not yelling at me, so you must be serious right now. And then I was just like, okay, let me think about this a little bit more before I tell him I want to leave and go use again. Because he, he, he doesn't use. He's a normie. He's never touched a drug in the day and day in his life. So I know that what he's saying, he's saying with a clear mind. Yeah. And he's also had people in his family, um, a lot of people in his family struggle with addiction. So he knows how to, you know, handle people who are going through the same thing I'm going through. So I kind of had to, at that point, say, okay, I have to listen to somebody else, not myself. Yeah, I think that's huge to have someone that cares about you and that you're in a relationship. Like my, like my wife was super mm-hmm. supportive of of me. Mm-hmm. Like initially when I said, "Look, I, I need help," and um, mm-hmm. you know that that was a huge part of my recovery. And then added to that, my my recovery itself, like you know the groups, the people that I met at meetings, um, mm-hmm. all of the you know literature educating myself on what's really going on with me getting to learn about myself, being honest too. um, all those things combined Mm -hmm. were so huge. And it sounds like, um, kind of, you have the, you know, you have that initial, initial point with your boyfriend, which is good. You know, that's, that's, that's really Mm -hmm. good. Um, so one of the things that you mentioned too, in, um, in the email was that anxiety is a huge issue for you. And I, I think that, in our society today, anxiety is a huge issue with many, many, many people. I know um, mm-hmm. I have personal friends. I have family. I have people who are very, very close to me who struggle with anxiety and depression. So mm-hmm. I think drugs, alcohol is definitely a way that a lot of us cope with it. Um, and some of us, mm-hmm. you know, some of us cope with it different ways too. I mean, there's all types of things. What What are you doing now that you're not, that you don't have those tools? Like, how are you coping with your anxiety and how has it been for you? It is a struggle every day. Like, I really don't know how I handle it. Most of the time, usually it's just like, I tell myself, hey, you got shit to do. Don't keep fucking worrying about stupid shit. Just focus on what you're doing and do it. You can't keep dwelling on stuff you can't change. Like, that's all I can say that I do. And sometimes it's really hard. Like, a lot of the days, I don't even want to get out of bed. I'm... I don't want to do anything. I just sit there and I'm like, I I can't do anything. And it's still something I struggle with all the time. Um, I think when I was using drugs, that was the only time I did get, um, like, I got through it. But it's weird because when I was using at that moment, it was like the only reason I was getting through stuff is because I wanted to stay high. Like I needed to do something to get um, my next high. So I was high and I was reading about the next high. So that's why I was telling myself, okay, you got to do shit and, you know, keep focusing on that. But then I noticed during the times I wasn't high, I was doing stuff and I felt great. Like I was in theater class for all four years of high school. And one of the rules was you can't be high while you're on stage. That's, I think that's obvious for everyone to know. And those times I was on stage, I didn't have any anxiety at all. And I wasn't using, so I have no idea if it's that mindset saying, oh, you got to keep 
doing what you're doing and focus on that is what has always got me through that and will get me through that in the future with my anxiety. But um, I can see the pattern from when I was using, when I wasn't using, and now when the using isn't even an option. So I think that's the only thing. Are you still doing yeah, any? Search. Are you still doing any theater or anything? No, I don't have any. Like I moved to Riverside uh, about you know, like five, six months ago. I don't know. I'm not good at math, but like five, six months ago, and I know nobody here. So even if I wanted to, I have no way to do that. But anyway, that I, that would be something I would definitely want to get back into. Well, yeah, and that, that's the only reason I asked that because I know from mm-hmm. personal experience that um, when I was able mm-hmm. to kind of supplement those, you know, because what, mm-hmm. we, what we do for so long, like all I knew was anything mm-hmm. I did revolved, the focal point of it was usually drinking, you know, and then, and then drugs mm-hmm. would follow that kind of thing, you know. And so when, mm-hmm. when I had to get sober, when I wanted to get sober and when I did – it was like, damn, I got to find other things to do now. And so when you can really find something that you're passionate about, and it sounds like you're passionate about, about acting and theater, um, mm-hmm. that could be a huge uh, part of your recovery. And I'm not absolutely not mm-hmm. telling you what to do, but I just hear that in you. And um, yeah. I think that, you know, you should look into it. Definitely. I could totally hear that, the passion in your voice about it. And um, that might be something that you can kind of, you know, grab a hold of yeah. and really use to your advantage in your recovery. Yeah, I was. I that's something I've definitely always thought about. It's always been something I love. I don't know if it's just because I like attention, and when you're on stage, like you're the center of attention, whether you're <laughs> yeah. the person reading the lines or you're just a side person. Like you're on that stage, and people are looking at you. Yeah. Which I don't understand that feeling either, because I'm a very insecure person. Like I'm afraid to go outside the house because I don't want people looking at me, and it's like. I'm like a weird person if you think about it. Like I love people looking at me and I hate it. So I don't understand how that happens. Yeah. Like, no, I know I could I could be in front of a group of um a hundred people like talking mm-hmm. and I think I there's a good chance I would feel more comfortable on in that aspect than sitting in like a group of like five people. Um, I don't yeah, know. The more, exactly. the more I think about it now, maybe I'm in a different place. I'm kind of putting myself back a little bit. And I know when I was using mm-hmm. and drinking a lot, at least that's definitely how it was. And the only way, actually, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, I'm just, see, I, I learned shit too while I'm talking about stuff. Like the reason I think I f- would feel comfortable in that because I would be fucking toasted. You know what I mean? I'd just be like, mm-hmm. yes, I'm feeling great right now. But mm-hmm. uh, so Kalina, what, I- go ahead. I was, it's completely, when I was using, I just, I felt the worst when I was using. It was when I was like at least 24 hours without something is when I would feel great. So I, I, I guess it's different for everyone. Some people it makes you withdraw. Some people it makes you go out there and want to be in front of everyone. Kalina, uh, what, what finally made you want to get clean and, and what are your plans? Like what kind of recovery program are you working um, I didn't want to get clean. It, um, like I said, I moved, I'm from Wilmington, California originally, which is about an hour away from Riverside where I live now. I moved over here with my boyfriend because I had a huge fight with my family 
And he was like, well, come live over here. And I was like, okay. And he was like, well, you can't use. I was like, shit. I was like, okay, though. And, uh, like, the first week I was here, I was pretty much detoxing myself. So it was hard. I didn't want to do it at all. And he just said, nope, you're staying here. You're not going back there. So it was it was kind of forced, but it felt really good at the same time. Because, like, I finally had that support and someone telling me, like, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You're not doing that. You don't even have the option to adapt. What are you doing for your recovery program right now? And I'm I'm not uh, I'm not implying that you should be doing anything. Mm-hmm. Just if you're not, say fuck. Oh yeah, I'm not, you know this whatever. But I'm just I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. Um, really, nothing. Well, if you want to look at it from most people's perspectives, I'm do I'm really not doing anything. Like I'm not going to meetings or anything like that. I don't have a sponsor, but. Um, I feel like for my own self, I don't need that. Like, not saying it's bad for the people that do, but I myself don't need to go sit in a room and listen to people and have someone tell me what to do. Like, you have to do these 12 steps. Like, you have to do whatever I say and listen to all the people in the room and just go by our program. It's like, I can't do that. Like, I naturally... As a person, I don't listen to people. So that's not going to work for me. That's just going to take me back. And, like, that's just how it is for me. So I'm not doing anything like that. But my, for myself, my boyfriend is a really big supporter. Thank you, motorcycle. Anything. But um, he supports me 100%. He says, if you want to go to a meeting... Let's go. He even had me, like, look at meetings around the area. He's like, whenever you want to go, pick one, we're going. And then he makes sure, he every time I want to use, he'll be like, talk about it. Why do you want to use? Why do you feel bad? Tell me everything. So that is a really big part of it. And the second part of it is um, I'm going to school for massage therapy and you can't massage under the influence, which I think is pretty much obvious. And so I really want to do that. So I'm not going to let anything set me back from doing that. And also I've laid out like the five-year plan thing. So, like I know what I want to do. And I'm telling myself like drugs are not a part of that at all. Because then I won't do shit. Like, I will not focus on what I'm doing. I will focus on that next high, that next bottle tilt, that that next blunt, that next bowl. Like, I'm not going to do anything that's on that list. I'm going to stay in a place where I'm comfortable not living. I'm just being here. So I have to tell myself, this is what I want in the future as an adult. Because right now what I'm doing as a teenager, it's not fun. I I think I appreciate your honesty in that, too, because, um, you know, some (laughs) people might not might not feel comfortable being as honest like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why I said I'm not asking you for, you know, if you don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a Mm -hmm. I'm a big supporter of um, of Alcoholics Anonymous, of Narcotics Anonymous, because I am, too. Like, don't get me. I am, too. 
like, if you, like, I've been to the meetings, especially when I was in rehab, you know, it's mandatory you go, and you can see, like, how great it is for some people and how much it helps them and how supportive they are of each other. I've met a lot of great people in those meetings, but for me, myself, I'm, I can't do that. Like, it's not for everyone. And I think it's part of because some people are raised, like, if you want to do something, you do it. Like, that's how my grandma raised us. Like, you tell yourself you're doing it, so you do it. But if you want to do something to help you, you go ahead and do that. And I don't feel like it's going to help me. Like, I have the desires, like, for the idea that one day I will go, especially to help other people and talk to other people. But right now, I have to focus on myself, and nobody else is going to help me do that. But for everyone else, it's great. And if you go, keep going, and I'm happy for you. But I just can't do it myself. Yeah, and you and you have that that decision because that decision's ultimately mm-hmm. ultimately up to you. And I mean, that's it, it, just like you said that it's not for me right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I and I totally I I respect that. I don't agree with it personally. And and here's here's mm-hmm. why. And I'm not I'm absolutely not judging you or saying anything about mm-hmm. that too because I I. I, there's some things about the programs that I don't like either. You know what I'm saying? Like the, I, mm-hmm. some of the things just rub me the wrong way, which is why I started this whole, you know, podcast mm-hmm. and meetings and all that crap. Um, mm-hmm. but my point to this is, is, um, just kind of relating to what you say, like, like I was saying, my, my wife is a big supporter of mm-hmm. my recovery. Right. Um, but if, mm-hmm. and this is just for me, if I, if she was the only one that I relied on, um, for my recovery and then my own willpower, I don't know how long I would mm-hmm. last. I it could, I don't know. It could be three months. It could be a year. I don't know. But just for me, like I, I know that that group mm-hmm. setting, whether it's AA or NA or just the church or just going out like, and just meeting different people and helping and stuff. Um, that type mm-hmm. of thing is what, is what really like drove me to kind of keep, maybe it's a podcast too. I mean, I don't know. I talked to a mm-hmm. lot of different people. Uh, that's just my opinion though. So I hope that that I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. trying to challenge you in any type of way at all. The other part is, like, I'm not, I think for myself personally, I'm not relying on just my boyfriend for that support. I'm not just relying on my willpower. I've communicated to other people around me, um, like his family, who have all been through it. They went to meetings. They've all went through rehab and jail and all those things. I know I have them for support if I need it. I can call them anytime. So it's not like I'm doing it by myself personally. And also at my school, I made it a point first day to the faculty, to my teachers, to my classmates, like, hey, I have a problem. So if you notice something, you need um, to say something to anyone so that I will get the help. So it's not like I'm... So you have set up some, uh, some, you've set up like some sort of um, group, it sounds like, and some sort of accountability Mm -hmm. by kind of reaching out to other people, which is great. Yeah. Like, I think that's what's helping me now. Like I have, like I am, at some point I do want to go to meetings, but right now I know that's not, and it also doesn't fit into my schedule right now. So it's like, it's not going to help me right now. And it's not going to be easy right now. So it's everyone's plan 
different. Well, I think a lot of people feel, I think a lot of people feel like you in that out there too. And whether or not, you know, Mm -hmm. I or anyone else agree with it or not, it's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It's just the fact of just what you said. A lot of people are pushed away by the rooms and I don't even want to get Mm -hmm. into, you know, the, the different reasons why. Um, but Mm -hmm. it's, you know, maybe, maybe at certain times it's just not going to work for somebody, you know, and it sounds kind of like that's where you're at. Maybe, Maybe you have some aspirations of maybe at some point going there, but right now you feel like it's going to mm-hmm. push you away a little bit more. I, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't recommend that to somebody out there, but like we were saying, everyone else, you know, everyone's story is different. Everyone has mm-hmm. different thoughts about stuff. Mm-hmm. I also think um, a reason a lot of people don't want to go to room, like the first reason I didn't want to go to was that everyone is telling me this is what you need to do. Yeah. You do it right now or you're going to fail. And I was like, well, then I, I'm like, I'm not going to listen to you. As far as that's the teenage mind. It's like, I'm not going to listen to you. You don't know what's best for me. <laughs> and in the end, like, I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I don't need those rooms to get clean. And right now I'm proving I don't need those rooms to get clean. But that's not the main reason I'm doing it. I'm doing it because it's best for me. And like, I've seen some of your stuff for the online meetings, and I guess to take a step to going to actual rooms and meeting people in person, I think that would be a good step, especially with my anxiety, because being in a room full of people scares the shit out of me. Like, I don't know why. Like, it goes back to theater. Like, being on stage, yeah, that's fine for me. But being in the group that interacting with each other is so scary to me and I have no idea what I guess it's that personal connection that trust thing like I you can't really do that for some people it's not not easy yeah thank you thank you too for pointing that out because that's really you know, initially the, the thought that I had about creating the, um, that sober guy Mm -hmm. meetings is, is kind of using it as a bridge with no pressure and no, um, no Mm -hmm. strict program. It's really just a platform to get people together to communicate on and maybe open that door Mm -hmm. to diving in a little bit deeper into their recovery. So thanks for pointing that out. Mm -hmm. I think also one other thing I want to say that people my age is, don't pay attention to what's on social media or in pop culture because it's just going to rot you. It's not going to do you any good. Like, that's the big thing, especially for people my age. You pay attention to pop culture and social media, and it just does more damage to you. So that's another big thing. God, it's so good to hear a (laughs) 19-year-old say that, I got to tell you, (laughs) because I have the biggest problem with that as well. Um, it's some of the shit that's out there is absolutely terrible. It really is. And I saw, I do, I sound like that old, that old bitter bastard, you know, that like my grandpa or something, not that my grandpa's an old bitter bastard, but like a grandpa that's like, Mm -hmm. you don't need goddamn kids watching the, you know, like I I never thought I'd say that, but God, there's so much trash out there. And I think that a a lot of the younger generation, they really, they idolize that shit and they look up to it and they think it's reality. There's nothing, it's entertainment. And I think a lot of people don't have uh, the concept to be able to differentiate entertainment, you know, between reality. And so when you kind of mesh yeah. the two together, it can really mess people up. Yeah. Kalina, thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing uh, your story and some of your thoughts and opinions. I appreciate your honesty. 
I also want to tell you too, you said in the beginning that sometimes, um, you know, you didn't, you didn't feel like, uh, like you were good enough, like you were smart, like you were beautiful just from talking to you. I don't need to see you to know that you're beautiful and that you're smart and that you really want, um, this sobriety and this new life for yourself. So I just want to wish you the best on that. Uh, stay in touch, uh, reach out to people and, um, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you, Shane, so much. If you're a young person out there who's struggling with addiction or alcoholism and you're looking for help, reach out, sobriety at that soberguy.com. There's plenty of resources out there. You can also go to sobernation.com and check out some of the many resources there. Thanks for listening. Peace, love, and respect. This has been another episode of That Sober Guy Podcast. For more information, visit www.thatsoberguy.com. Contact Shane at sobriety at thatsoberguy.com. And leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Peace, love, respect. Keep your blood clean.